the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If you look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Well, good morning to you. Thank you so much for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer, starting your day at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. I don't believe that. I'm pretty sure you started your day earlier. But if you just turn the radio on for the first time today, we're going to call it that. Uh, thanks for choosing us. A lot of different choices out there. I know that. A lot of different ideologies, a lot of different styles, a lot of different things. But um, uh, when you come here, it is appreciated more than you know, because we try to bring you some very important information every day and try to entertain you a little bit while we do it. Big show today. Coming up in a half an hour, Senator J.D. Vance will join us. Senator Vance has made it very, very clear. He was active on Twitter. As a matter of fact, again, this morning... Uh, talking about Ukraine and how he is going to continue to oppose Ukraine funding, saying that the United States of America, and I'll ask him to be more specific on this, of course, um, but saying that the United States of America cannot continue to fund this war that Ukraine is in with Russia. We have to worry about America first. We have to worry about our southern border and more. Not to mention the fact that we don't even know what's happening with our money that we send to Ukraine. We don't know, because corruption in Ukraine is rampant. He tweeted um, 
I guess I shouldn't say this morning. This is 18 hours ago, so it was late yesterday. But he tweeted, corruption is a massive problem in Ukraine, despite Biden's and the, the Biden administration's public assurances. How can Congress rubber stamp Biden policy as the administration lies to the American people? I will continue to vote no on Ukraine funding. And he links to a political story uh, covering a lot of the issues involving corruption in Ukraine. Remember, corruption in Ukraine is exactly how we got where we are with the Biden administration. Corruption in Ukraine was being investigated back when, the I guess we can go back to the Obama administration if we're being honest, right? Corruption in the in Ukraine in the Ukrainian government was being investigated by uh, a prosecutor, the prosecutor general in Ukraine, and he was investigating corruption involving one of the Ukrainian energy companies, the one that just happened to be employing his son, Hunter Biden, paying him eighty three thousand dollars a month plus perks, including cash handouts for the rest of the Biden family. It would appear, but at any rate, it was so corrupt there. Um, the investigation that was going to bring down the corruption at Burisma and with the government, that investigation was was very threatening to Hunter Biden and his sweet gig. Joe Biden toddled on over to Ukraine and told them, we're not giving you the billion-dollar loan that you were promised unless you fire the guy who's going after my son and Burisma. That's literally what happened. And then what happened? Prosecutor got fired. They got their billion dollars, and Lord only knows where it flowed from there. And now we're supposed to continue to send them more billions of dollars? $113 billion so far. Do we know that it's going to fight Russians? Do we know that it's going to oppose Putin? I don't know. I don't know where it's going, how many different locations it ends up. I don't know how many different times it's washed and rinsed, and how much of it finds its way back to the pockets of the Biden family. Nobody knows, quite frankly. What we do know is that um, Democrats and a certain number of Republicans continue to support any amount for any reason for as long as it takes. There is no cap on the amount of um, money that we will give them, American taxpayer dollars, no cap whatsoever until the, until the um, uh, agenda is achieved until the until the mission is accomplished okay well what's the mission accomplished look like we don't know (laughs) it's just an unlimited amount of money for an end that is nowhere near in sight because they cannot define one it's like turning on a spigot and then just ripping the uh, the knob off so you can't turn it back off again just let it flow except in our case it's flowing dollars it's flowing money so uh, J.D. Vance can explain how he stands on or where he stands on all of those things coming up at 9.35 at 10.10. 10, as you know, it's Tuesday, and you know what Tuesday means. Tuesday means it is cursing. Time. So, uh, whenever you have a cursing out day, whenever you have a cursing out day, it is a good day. So J.D. Vance at 9.35 and Peter Kirsten now coming up at 10.10 this morning. We're going to start with our pledge, and then we've got a lot of important news to cover for you this morning. So Patriots, please stand. Face your flag if you have one. Uh, don't just go through the motions. Literally stand. If you say it means something to you, then do it. And I say that not to be in any way chastising anybody, but I have people, when I go in public, who say thank you for doing the pledge every day. I pledge every day with you. Uh, and if that is something that is important to you, I will continue to do it. But uh, you have to live up to your end of it. 
face your flag, put your your flag, put your hand on your heart, and uh, join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in surrendering American sovereignty to scores and millions and millions of people from a variety of different countries, all of whom have, let's say, nefarious intentions in the United States, well, then you obviously don't respect the sovereignty of the country nor the flag that represents that country. So don't fake it. You can just take a knee next to that unemployed socialist quarterback. For those who care, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So what am I talking about uh, with that little lead-in? You know, I always try to tie my intro to the pledge into one of our top stories of the morning. And uh, where we're going with this is apparently the Biden administration and the Democrats and the radical left in general believe that securing the southern border to stop more than the uh, the seven and a half million new border crossers that have come into the United States since Joe Biden was inaugurated, any attempt to slow that down or stop that is a political stunt. At least that's according to Corrine Jean-Pierre. You know, she's the black and gay press secretary for the Biden administration. She's black and she's gay, just so you know. I don't care that you know, but they wanted you to know. They introduced her as such. She's the black and gay press secretary. Understand that, because diversity, you know. This is what she said about that. Yeah, thanks. One point that Speaker McCarthy made repeatedly on Face the Nation yesterday was that he wants any additional funds for Ukraine tied to uh, congressional action on border security. Is that something that the White House would consider supporting for a vote on Ukraine funding? So, look, I think the American people are fed up. They're fed up of the political games, the political stunts that House Republicans are doing on our national security and also our government. You have a president who has delivered record funding, record funding, to make sure that we have additional, record additional uh, border patrol, federal employees uh, at the border. This is something that he has done and has delivered on. And instead, extreme... Seven and a half million illegals in just two and a half years. Six million that went through and were get, through catch and release that we're basically told, come on in, um, we'll call you in a couple of years when it's time for your asylum hearing. One and a half million gotaways that they know of. I didn't even touch the number of unknown gotaways, because obviously that number is unknown, so we're just going with the seven and a half, and she's bragging that this president has delivered uh, record funding for Border Patrol. This is to let you know just how un imaginably incompetent this woman is to explain things. This is what happens when you get a diversity hire, when diversity means more than competency. And instead, extreme these extreme House Republicans, what did they do? They just passed two weeks ago a proposed cutting DHS funding by 8%. They're the ones who are saying that they want to defund DHS. That's what they're saying. Meanwhile, That's because the Department of Homeland Security is an absolute, abject failure. The homeland is not secure under Alejandro Mayorkas' guidance. You know the Department of Homeland Security, the root words there, the most important words are homeland and security. And if we're not secure in our homeland, why would we continue to fund those who make it unsecured.
we need to rebuild that from the bottom up. We are, we're trying to do everything that we can uh, to make sure that we deal with what's going on at the border. As it relates to Ukraine funding, there's bipartisan support. We've heard that from Republicans and Democrats, and we appreciate the bipartisan support that we have seen for Ukraine. And Do you notice how upbeat she got when it came to the issue of funding another nation's border? As for Ukraine funding, we have bipartisan support. She's all chipper and yay. We are happy to send billions and billions of taxpayer dollars to another country to secure their border. We're excited about that. We appreciate the bipartisan support there. But there is no bipartisan support for securing the border, is there? The only people who want to secure the border are, what did you call them, extreme House Republicans? Which is, of course, the label that they've been using, extreme MAGA Republicans, for anybody that wants to actually, you know, secure the homeland. Yeah, you know, very dark and very low monotone, you know, about this president and the border. It's secure. He's delivered on that. Never mind the seven and a half million border crossers. No, 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 no. He's delivered on that. But we're really excited about the Ukraine funding. We, we, we are confident that we're going to continue to see that. And so, look, this is about uh, freedom and democracy against... For whom? For whom? Ukrainians or Americans? Against Russia's invasion, aggression against the Ukrainian people. And this is also about, about protecting our national security as well. How, pray tell, is this protecting national security? We're sending, I mean, first of all, do you know how much the border wall would have cost this country if we had just started it? and continued it and finished it, the border wall would have cost, I don't know, one-twentieth of what we've already laid out for Ukraine. Not one nickel that we have sent to Ukraine has stopped one migrant from one country crossing our southern border illegally, crossing the river, just completely violating American immigration law. Not one dollar that we have sent Ukraine has protected American security or has secured this homeland. And when Republicans in a budget battle demand border funding and actual border policies that will slow down the unchecked flow of illegal immigrants coming into this country, they call it a political stunt. It's not a political stunt. It's called your job. Secure the homeland. Not your job, KJP, diversity hire, but it's your it's your your administration's, the administration's job. How bad is it? Let me tell you how bad it is. Even the radically left governor of New York has said, mm, "Yeah, it might be. Uh, it might be time to uh, to tighten up the border." Democratic New York Governor Kathy Hochul said Sunday that Congress needs to limit who crosses the border, saying it's too open right now holy goodness it's too open right now we have been saying this since barack obama essentially opened up the floodgates they were closed temporarily under trump we've been saying it since biden came in and reopened up the floodgates and now just now after they start to see hundreds of thousands of migrants of the millions and millions of illegals who are here, hundreds of thousands of them are going to New York and making life miserable there, and suddenly she's like, okay, 
now that it's hitting me in the face, now that it's hitting us in the face, um, then perhaps we should we should think about um, uh, shutting the border down just a little bit. It's a little too open right now. I know she's not saying, saying seal the border. She's saying it's just a little bit too open right now. How bad has it gotten? It has gotten so bad that they've lost Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton says Democrats need to change their immigration policies. The godfather of the modern progressive movement. When you lose Bill, haven't you lost it all? Bill Clinton has backed the bid to change New York City's right-to-shelter law because of the migrant crisis, saying, we have to fix it. It's broken. We need to fix it, said Bill Clinton. It doesn't make any sense. They come here, and we're supposed to shelter people who can't get work permits for six months. We need to change that, too. So how about that? When things start to show up on their doorstep, rather than just being stopped in the Texas realm, where screw those redneck Texans, I don't care if they're overrun with millions of migrants, keep them in Texas. But when they leave Texas and they come to Philadelphia, New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, maybe we should probably do something about this. The hypocrisy is so thick here, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine. You want to know how bad things are in New York when it comes to this issue? That the Democrats are saying that we Republicans are playing, uh, pulling political stunts over? The city of New York could shell out up to $1.4 billion on its own just on the hotel rooms for migrants over the next three years. Remember I told you about this because Bernie Moreno, the Senate candidate, went to New York City to visit his family? And he uh, stumbled upon the uh, Roosevelt Hotel and found out that it's no longer being used as a hotel. It's got 1,025 rooms, and all of them are housing immigrant families on the taxpayer dole. They're not paying for it. We are paying for it. And that's just for the rooms. That doesn't include the service, the maid service, the food, which is being supplied by a bunch of other restaurants that have been taken over by the city. That was we're talking about seventy-five million dollars in a year. Now we're finding out over the next three years they have indeed calculated up to one point four billion dollars, and this is coming out of New York's budget. But you know damn well that Joe Biden is going to make them whole and take your tax dollars and mine out of the federal budget and give it to New York to uh, to uh, 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 um, you know pay them back. The public needs to see how every penny of this will be spent and apply maximum pressure to curb costs, most notably by ending the insane, sustainable, unsustainable right to shelter for every person in the world that has been put forth. That came from the New York Post editorial board. That monstrous $1.4 billion sum is meant to cover migrant rental fees at more than 100 city hotels and doesn't even include the cost of city-owned facilities and other sites used to house these asylum seekers otherwise known as illegal aliens. Yes, writes the New York Post, it's President Joe Biden's disastrous open border policy at bottom that's costing cities like New York billions, though the president won't lift one finger to help. In fact, worse than that, as I've told you before, while Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, has his National Guard down there on the border installing just miles of razor wire to slow down, if not stop the migrants, Joe Biden is sending federal agents out there to snip them and take them down. 
As fast as they can be put up, Joe Biden has taken them down because he does not want to slow this massive, unchecked, unsustainable flow of immigrants into this country. All right, 926, we'll take a time out here. We're going to talk about this and more with Senator J.D. Vance. He's next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. All right, 934 now. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday morning. Don't forget Peter Kersenow coming up in about a half an hour. But right now we are pleased to welcome back to our program Ohio Senator J.D. Vance. Senator Vance, good to talk to you this morning. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, Bob? Doing well, thank you. Hey, first thing I have to ask, this has apparently become um, an issue for some. Have you ever been near a door in a public building and spotted a little spotted a little small red box on the wall marked in case of fire pull lever and thought to yourself, that's the proper method to open that door? You ever, ever have that happen? <laughs> as as I as all of us learned in elementary school, fire alarms also open doors, Bob, and I am uh, one of one of many people on Capitol Hill that have no idea how to actually operate an emergency uh, an emergency door. No, no, th- th- this whole thing is is absurd. I will tell you, Bob, when this happened, uh, we were actually in our Senate conference lunch, we were to, you know, our, our Republican uh, lunch, and we were sort of debating how do we proceed in a way that strengthens the, the hand of House Republicans. And then we get a notice that the Cannon Building, which is a House building, is being evacuated because somebody pulled the fire alarm. And what I immediately say is that's the Democrats because they're trying to delay the vote to apply pressure on us and also give the House Democrats more time to figure out what they're going to do. And a few of my colleagues are like, yeah, that probably is right. And a few of my colleagues are like, oh, J.D., that'd be crazy conspiracy. And then, of course, you learn that it's Jamal Bowman pulling the fire alarm. And, and what they were doing, Bob, was explicitly trying to delay House proceedings. Um, that's, that's pretty extraordinary. It's, by the way, illegal. And it's something that I think if the Department of Justice had an ounce of integrity, it might look into. But uh, it's also just hysterical how he's tried to say that he, he just didn't know how to open a door. Well, he also said that, you know, on the contrary to trying to delay the vote, he said, I was in such a rush to make sure I went and cast my vote that, that I was trying to get out a door and I made a mistake and grabbed the wrong thing. So he was saying, I really wanted to cast my vote. That was really what was behind this entire thing. And, and, Senator, what you just said needs to be repeated. This was interference with an official government proceeding, which begs the question, how should, should Jamal Bowman be treated in light of the fact that there are hundreds of people who have been accused of interfering with an official government proceeding that are being held in gulags in Washington, D.C. right now awaiting trials? Well, that's a very, very good point, Bob, and I'm sure that many of your listeners have drawn the connection between January 6th detainees, uh, many of whom are accused of no violent crime. Uh, and we're, we're now in a situation where uh, interrupting an official government proceeding is the cause to throw the book at these people. And yet Jamal Bowman, a member of the House of Representatives, is, is, is apparently going to go off scot-free. My favorite thing about this, Bob, is when he received criticism, and actually people started to note that he committed a crime, he accused those people of Nazism for daring to criticize him for breaking the law. These people have basically one move whenever they're criticized. It's, it's to say that their opponents are Nazis. You see it with Jamal Bowman, and we're going to see it, unfortunately, uh, I think a lot over the next few weeks, because, look, Republicans like me, we're not going to stop asking 
for the law to be applied fairly. And I don't think the Democrats are going to stop whining about it. No, of course they're not. And and his reaction and his office's reaction, uh, just accuse Republicans of being Nazis, is, is, is just par for the course for them. Senator Vance, um, let's get to the continuing resolution. You were one of nine senators to vote no. It was overwhelmingly bipartisan in both uh, chambers. You were one of the no votes. What was behind your decision? Yeah, there, there are a couple of things. Well, first of all, just, this is a process thing that I admit probably 90% of the American people don't care about. But I don't like having these spinning bills that are, you know, this one was about 80 pages, dropped on our desk. They give us hours to read it, and then we're expected to vote on hundreds of billions of dollars worth of spending. I really want us to get back to the regular process where we actually have difficult conversations about what programs need less money, maybe what programs need more money. We at least talk about it as senators and as congressmen and figure this stuff out. That, that's number one. Number two, I don't like that this didn't cut spending at all, Bob. Uh, you know, I recognize that there are some difficult decisions that need to be made. We're going to disagree about how to make those decisions. But look, uh, we didn't cut spending at all as part of this process. Now, I, I will say, Bob, I actually agree that there are a lot of folks who, you know, I, I sort of consider political fellow travelers who say just shut it down. It's no big deal. Look, shutdowns are painful. We need to be cognizant of that fact. It is not a great thing to shut down the government. But we also need to not give up every ounce of leverage that we have. And, and, and I, I expect, Bob, I hate to say this because I don't think that he deserves it, but I, I expect that this will lead to Kevin McCarthy's ouster from the House of Representatives, and that's going to throw the entire government in chaos. And, and what, what I would say on, on this whole question of, of whether we have continuing resolutions or whether we actually get back to some, some fiscal sanity in this country is, look, whatever you want to say about Kevin McCarthy, and again, I think it's a mistake, one of the reasons why he is facing the motion to vacate is because a lot of House Republicans were promised a, an appropriations process that cut spending, and that didn't actually get delivered. So we, we need to get back to normal government, not this crazy process where bills are dropped on our desk three hours before we have to vote for them. And I think that's really what the controversy with the CR is about. I don't disagree with any bit of that. Um Kevin McCarthy said, though, that we had the final bill that we ended up with because of House Republicans. He said we had um, a very, very conservative. In fact, I think he said it cut spending by eight billion dollars. I'm sorry, eight percent rather. Uh, and uh, he said it was the most conservative, you know, CR that uh, that they had put forth in a very, very long time. He said it also did not have funding for Ukraine, in it, which I'll talk to you about in a moment. But he said there were uh, House Republicans who opposed it. Uh, now, even if every House Republican supported it, it's certainly wouldn't have gotten through on the Senate side, but he said, look, we did deliver a bill that did cut spending by 8%, and we couldn't get it through. What do you want him to do? Well, he, he's right about that, first of all. I mean, they, they, they did try some good continuing resolutions that would have accomplished some, I think, meaningful reforms in our country. The flip side of it, Bob, is, is they accomplished it still through this process where you drop a big bill on people's desk and expect them to vote on it 15 minutes later. There is a rebellion among the sort of rank-and-file membership on both the House and the Senate side against doing government that way. And that, that really is, is the problem. here. I don't think the substance of – look, some of the substance of what he proposed is very good, but it's how do you do it? How does the government actually function? Do we sort of – does each elected representative have a say in how the country governs, or are they forced by leadership at, the, at sort of the barrel of a gun – under threat of government shutdown to vote yes or no on these things. I think that is sort of the fundamental brokenness of Washington, D.C., is what this is about. We're talking with Senator J.D. Vance this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. 
so let's go back to McCarthy for a minute. It's gonna, I'm going to tie a whole bunch of things together here, and I'll let you roll on it uh, in response, because I want to ask you about the Ukraine. Obviously, you were pleased with the fact, so was I, that there was no actual new Ukraine funding in this CR that was passed. However, the accusation is, the allegation is, that Kevin McCarthy made a secret side deal and a promise of a new clean bill to, to send more money to Ukraine. In fact, Corrine Jean-Pierre on the executive side, speaking for the White House, uh, said that um, they are absolutely preparing another the Ukraine funding package, and Putin cannot outlast us. We will continue to fund this. So, like I said, I'm lumping a lot of stuff together here. Some say that's the reason why Kevin McCarthy is being, you know, uh, the, the motion to vacate is being put forth. Do you believe that's what's going on here, or is this more personal between Gates and McCarthy? Well, look, there's clearly something personal between Gates and McCarthy. Um, and look, I, I will criticize McCarthy when I think that he deserves it. I do not believe that he promised Democrats they would get sort of clean Ukraine funding. McCarthy's not on, on the Ukraine issue where I am, uh, but he's also not where some of the, the crazy people in Washington, D.C. are either. And I think he genuinely believes we have to focus on our own priorities and not the Ukrainian government right now. Uh, so I, I don't buy that that promise was made. And if you read between the lines of what the Democrats are saying, I don't even think they're saying this promise was made. But look, the reason McCarthy, I think, ultimately will face the motion to vacate, and I, you know, I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm skeptical he survives, is really because, not just because of Gates, but you have sort of a group of 20 Republicans who just think the swamp is fundamentally broken. And the way that Washington governs, the way that it drops these bills, like I said earlier, on people's desks doesn't give them enough time to read it. A lot of people are saying, we refuse to play along with this game anymore. And I, and I think all, all leadership on, on, the, on the Republican side, whether it's Senate leadership or House leadership, is going to have to reckon with the fact that a small minority of Republicans are saying, we're not playing this game anymore. It needs to be a different game. Uh, that, that, of course, is going to ra- ruffle some feathers, but I actually think it will lead to better government. And frankly, I think it will lead to, to much smarter fiscal policy in this country, too. So let's talk more specifically about Ukraine then. You know, uh, virtually every Democrat supports funding Ukraine literally forever uh, without any cap on the amount and without any end, uh, you know, being defined. Uh, many Republicans do do as well. It's kind of a it's kind of a split on the Republican side. Explain how what do you, how do you explain to those your position where we should not be funding them? They're calling you a Putin puppet, and anybody who you know opposes funding Ukraine that means you're on the side of Putin. It also means, by the way, that you support China invading Taiwan because that's the message that's being sent here. We won't inv- uh, we won't uh, get ourselves involved if if uh, bigger nations invade and uh, and try to violate the sovereignty of smaller nations. Um, so when when you hear people saying those things, you hear Nikki Haley on a debate stage shrieking about that, that this is in favor of Putin if you don't support this unlimited funding. How do you respond to them, Senator? Well, there are a few things. First of all, the idea that funding Ukraine indefinitely is the way to deter China gets it exactly backwards, Bob. The, the thing that the Chinese will be deterred by is whether America has enough weapon systems. I'm talking about long-range artillery shells, missile systems, and so forth. And unfortunately, we don't have enough of that stuff that we make here in America, and we've shipped way too much of it to Ukraine. Just to give you one example, the Patriot missile system, one of the most important deterrents against Chinese aggression in East Asia, is now on a five- to seven-year backlog. So we are actually enabling the interests of the Chinese by sinking so many resources into Ukraine. So people, I think, have that, that exactly backwards. But the second more fundamental point, Bob, is, is a great lesson of American foreign policy it's Republicans have made this mistake and Democrats have made this mistake is you have to have a discrete objective 
in matters of war, whether your own troops are involved or not. What are we trying to do? When are we trying to do it by? And how much money will it take to accomplish that thing? The Biden administration has given us no answer. In fact, if you look at some of their declassified briefings, they believe that if we give the Ukraine $100 billion for the next five years, the, the fundamental, there will be no real change in the nature of the conflict. So, so what are we doing here? And are we really on the hook for $500 billion more of military aid and then a trillion dollars of redevelopment and reconstruction aid on top of it? I don't think that we can afford it. I don't think that it's in our national interest. Here's a final point, Bob, and this is the first time you've heard me make this argument, but I'm going to start making it a lot more frequently. One of the unintended consequences of our Middle East policy over the last 20 years is a massive refugee crisis that destabilized Europe and actually, I think, promoted a lot of terrorism. I'm talking about the Syrian refugee crisis of 2015, okay? We are about to have a refugee crisis the likes of which the world has never seen because Ukraine and Russia are the breadbasket, not just of Europe, but of Africa and Asia, too. You have 1.5 billion Africans on the continent of Africa who are starving, who are facing serious hunger problems because food is so expensive, and it will only get more expensive as this war perpetuates. So are we willing to destabilize Africa and Europe because of a massive refugee problem? We're going down that pathway, Bob, and I fear that nobody is looking at the long-term unintended consequences of this this never-ending conflict. Well, that's a very, very uh, important point, and I don't know that a lot of people are talking. In fact, I don't know anybody who's talking about that. And when I hear you talk about it, Senator Vance, my first thought is, how many of them are going to end up in our backyard? Uh, and, and because it, when you hear the word refugee around the world, there is only one place for people to seek refuge. It's not in neighboring countries that are willing to provide it. It's the United States. They've got to come to the United States. So we already have what seven and a half billion new crossers, six billion that they uh, gave um, uh, you know asylum status to, and one and a half billion gotaways that they know about already in two and a half years since Joe Biden was inaugurated. How many of those refugees in the coming refugee crisis you're talking about here are we going to say bring them here? Well, unfortunately, we know the answer, Bob. It's going to be a large number. And if you if you just assume, you know, one in a thousand of these newcomers have some problem, criminal behavior, terrorism, gang activity, then that's how you get the kind of cartel activity that we have on the, on the southern border. And that's how you get something that I think is going to be even worse if we keep on going in this direction. So, so look, I, I'm really worried about this, and not enough people are talking about it. And this is, again, if you go back to the Syrian refugee crisis, led to the rise of ISIS, led to a lot of terrorism problems all over the world. We've got to be careful about this stuff and not believe that if you destabilize the world's food supply, everything's going to be hunky-dory because it's not. You're right, Bob. People accuse me of being a Putin apologist. I find this hysterical. I have no affection for Vladimir Putin. He's, he's, you know, my, I, I care about America. I think Vladimir Putin's a bad guy. I don't think he should have invaded Ukraine. But we live in the world that we live in, not the one that we wish we lived in. And in the world we actually live in, we've got to be smarter about how we deal with this Ukraine war. Yeah, and, and it's pretty sad that you cannot offer very cogent arguments the way that you are. These are very logical and very well thought out. And you can't you can't do that without being accused of being on Putin's payroll. You and Tucker, you and Tucker are his, uh, you know, American. Uh, 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 yeah. media allies. It's unbelievable. Uh, let's talk about domestic issues for a moment. The UAW strike continues. More workers in more plants are walking off the job each day. It's growing. 
Are you, what is your feeling about the demands, the, you know, the opening 46% pay raise and 32 hour work weeks for 40 hour paychecks that they're demanding from the, uh, from the automakers? And what role do potential EV mandates play in those negotiations? I know you've got a bill to uh, eliminate the EV subsidies that uh, Biden put through in that Inflation Reduction Act nonsense. Um, what role do the EVs play in all of that? Yeah, I mean, look, first, a lot of people look at the demands and say they're extraordinary. The, the way that I look about it is this is sort of the, the first step of a negotiation. People always ask for more than they think they're ultimately going to get. But if you ask me, do I think the auto workers deserve some kind of pay raise, given where the auto industry's been the last few years? I, I, I fundamentally do, and I think that's, that's what they have to negotiate with the car industry over. I think, to your point, Bob, the deeper problem here is that we are subsidizing an industry, electric vehicle manufacturing, the mining that goes along with it, the battery and components manufacturing that goes along with it, that is still heavily present and dependent on communist China. So we're going to make the same mistake we've made over the last 40 years, which is subsidizing an industry made by Chinese workers instead of American workers. And I I think that's the fundamental issue here is I want auto workers to have higher wages, of course, most importantly, I want them to have a job in five years. And the trajectory we're going down with the Biden administration is these guys are going to have all their jobs shipped to China. It's going to destroy the American auto industry. And then, oh, by the way, it'll, it'll further weaken the manufacturing sector in the United States of America. We've actually got a bill to throw out all the Biden administration EV mandates to, to actually trade them with pro-American jobs and pro-auto industry in America things. And that's, that, 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 that's my basic view on all this stuff. My most important, my most deeply held economic policy conviction is whether it's the budget deficit, whether it's tax policy, all of these things become easier if you have more Americans working in higher wage jobs. And you're not going to do that if you destroy the car industry and ship it to China. No, you're 100% right about that, and I love your, your legislation there on, on, on eliminating those subsidies for EVs. That's one of the reasons I contacted your office to talk to you. But since you just laid it out, and it is so important, the potential, for, I think President Trump said when he talked to the auto workers a, a week ago or so, he said, you know, none of this is going to matter. You're not going to have jobs because these plants are all going to go under uh, unless some serious changes are made. So given that and given the negotiation and the and the difficulties between the, you know, the big three, particularly in the UAW, should government get involved in those negotiations? So far, Biden says he won't. Should they? You know, I, I don't like I don't like it when they did it with the rail workers. I don't like it when they do it here. You know, w- w- workers and companies need to figure this stuff out. And obviously, government sets the rules by which they're negotiating against each other. But I think you shouldn't have the government go in and, and sort of try to force a bargain. It's either going to be too good for the auto workers or too good for the auto industry. And I, I think you got to let the workers and the companies figure this stuff out themselves. Last thing for you, and it's going to tie to what you just said about uh, the potential of shipping, uh, outsourcing auto jobs to uh, to China. We'll go back to the issue about China and Taiwan. While all of that is playing out and so many people are concerned about the potential of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan because of the impact it would have on America because of Taiwan's you know, semiconductor production and how important that is, can we not, in the, in the meantime, while all of that is going on and all of the posturing is going on, can we not start to ramp up massively our own semiconductor production so, so Taiwan does not become you know, the make or break for, for the American economy? Well, we should, Bob. That's exactly right. A lot of us are pushing to do exactly that. I, I will say that there are a lot of resources that have been allocated to, to, to sort of support the American semiconductor industry and to get it further and further away from China. 
One of the problems here, and there are many, but one of the problems here, Bob, this is hard to believe, is that a lot of that money that's been allocated to build the American ship industry is being held up by the Biden administration over progressive politics. This is hard to believe, but if you want to manufacture chips, you want to manufacture the components of chips in America and get resources from the Secretary of Commerce, you have to check the box that you're willing to focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. You have to check the box that you're going to have the right family leave policies that the Biden administration wants you to have. And and look, we can debate this stuff and whether it's a good idea, but I think it is absolutely suicidal to be forcing American industries to pretend to be left-wing Democrats in order to get resources to build a native industry here in America. And uh, that's unfortunately a big problem with a lot of Biden administration policy is they say they want to fight China, but only if you're willing to be a woke company. That's not going to work. It's going to destroy American industry, and it's also going to alienate a lot of conservatives like me who want to reshore these jobs but are not willing to pretend that I'm a progressive Democrat in order to do it. Wow. You just touched a live wire right there. That is a very, very important point. No one is talking about that aspect of it. No one is talking about the, uh, the, the, the requirements, as you say, for American companies to do these things. Senator Vance, stand fast on your Ukraine position. I uh, support you, and, and a lot of other people do. That does not make you pro-Putin. It makes you pro-responsible for American security first. America does come first. Senator Vance, thank you so much. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Okay. Appreciate you. All right. It's uh, 954. That's a huge issue. Why can't we ramp up production of semiconductors in the United States to avoid and to and to end our reliance upon Taiwan's production? Because Biden won't let the companies grow without their diversity, inclusion and equity crap. That is enormous information from Senator Vance. All right, I've got Vance. Now I got Kersenow. We've got a lot of very important information for you, so stay right here. Go ahead and get yourself a co- coffee. I would say smoke them if you got them, but I don't like smoking. But get yourself a little break here. We've got uh, JD Vance, or excuse me, uh, Peter Kersenow following JD Vance right here on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth. Or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, hour number two now is underway. Seven minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks so much for being with us. On this Tuesday, the third morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks also to Senator J.D. Vance. That was just a phenomenal conversation. And I say that in no way as a uh, self-congratulatory uh, messaging. It was all him. He brought so much very important information in that 25 minutes or so that we spoke. So if you missed the conversation with J.D. Vance, you're going to want to hear it. It'll be available later today, maybe even before the show's over. The way Seth has been rolling with things lately, but it'll be available uh, at whkradio.com on the podcast page. Very important information. I'll also put it on the Rumble page. Did you know I had a Rumble page? I started a Rumble page. I started it a few weeks back. I don't know how long it's been now, but I'm doing. Uh, I'm putting up some of the interviews that we have done on this program there, as well as my uh, unique uh, Bob France road rants. Sometimes I get in the truck and I get rolling and I start thinking and I'm listening to radio and I get ideas that come into my head and I just need to get them out so I record uh, some Bob France road rants. Check those out on 
uh, my Rumble page. Just look for Always Right Radio on Rumble. Always Right Radio. And I'll share them on the other socials as well. Uh, I'm trying to stall for time a little bit here because uh, I'm waiting for Kirsten now. And I, I, I think he's outside, but he doesn't know how to get in the door. I, I, I saw him reaching for a fire fire alarm. Uh, it's not opening the door. Uh, we got all kinds of noise and chaos in the hallways now, but Kirsten now can't figure out how to get in here. So, uh, Seth, let me know when he's in, all right? Oh, he's, is he there? He made it. He made it. Can we get that damn alarm turned off? Obviously, there's a there's a there's a miscommunication. There must have been confusing signs there that were unable to be understood. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Kirsten Alk, sit down, my friend. It's good to have you in the uh, in the building. A little a little rough go for you this morning. Well, you know, it's the FBI, uh, Bob. Every time I'm on, the FBI does something to interfere, uh, and you know, uh, Marianne knows that. Uh, so everybody knows that. Uh, every time I substitute for you, they're all over me. Well, uh, I don't think the FBI did this one. Um, Pete, I'm going to ask you the same thing that I asked uh, uh, J.D. Um, in, in the first question that I asked him was about Jamal Bowman. Have you ever in your life <laughs> been standing next to a locked door and said, I know how to open it, and reached up and, and pulled the lever on a, on a little device that says, in case of fire, pull lever? Have you ever thought that's the best way to handle a locked door is to is to pull a fire alarm? Because we're told that 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 that's what happened in a moment of panic and urgency to get there and cast a crucial vote on a continuing resolution. That's that's what we were told. Has that ever happened to you? The key here, Bob, is to make sure Jamal Bowman never steps foot inside NORAD. Otherwise, we're in a world of hurt. <laughs> Who knows what levers? What he's switch pull would there? he throw there? <laughs> that's a great question. Pete, I mean, you know, it's funny, but it's not funny. First of all, it's funny because you know he 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 wants us to think either that that I'm figuring out how to phrase this. Pete, he thinks we're stupid enough to think that he's that stupid. It, that that's how this kind of comes down. Because either he pulled that fire alarm to delay the vote, which is an intentional interference with an official proceeding, which should have him in a cell next to the J6 prisoners who are still being held there for that exact same crime. So either he did that or he wants us to believe that he's stupid, that he's really that daft. That, that seeing signs that say emergency exit only, you can't go this way, um, are, are to be torn down because he did. He ripped them down and knocked them over, then pulled the fire alarm and thinking that's the best way to get out this door to make my way from the cannon building to the Capitol chamber to cast my vote. Um, so, Pete, I don't know which is worse. The fact that he intentionally interfered, which is what I really believe, or that he thinks we're dumb enough to think that he's dumb enough to think that in case of fire pull lever is the best way to open a door. Yeah, embrace the power of and, Bob. It's not necessarily either or. I think both can be true. And, uh, you know, I think I've met Jamal Bowman, uh, but, you know, there's so many idiots in Congress that it's hard to remember. Uh, but it's really a reflection of, among other things, I mean, you've, you've posited the alternatives, uh, and one of them is he really thinks we're that dumb, and why not? Why wouldn't he think that? Because he's got the entire media, which, uh, you know, the, the media runs cover for him, and for all Democrats, so they think they can say stupid, insane things and get away with it. We see it happen all the time. And it's our job, uh, you know, as 
citizens to make sure that we hold these folks to account. We let them know we don't believe this hokey doke and let the media know that too, because constantly the media is telling us things that are not just, you know, mistakes in fact, but are just abject lies. It is propaganda. And, you know, I've been around, I've been on this earth for a long, long time. And I know that many of your listeners with whom I speak whenever I'm in speaking engagements say the same thing. Over the last 20 years or so, the dynamic has changed markedly, though. In the past, we knew they were biased, and now they just outright lie. It's almost difficult to comprehend that they actually will lie, and um, lies by omission are the primary way in which they do it. That is, they don't say things that would reflect poorly on progressives, where at the same time, they'll say things that are allegations about uh, Republicans and conservatives that are objectively false, but at the time, we don't know that, and then later on, it's determined that, in fact, they are false. And we don't know it because the media, whose job it is to inform us, doesn't tell us. When I say us, I mean the masses. Many of us who are involved in these things on a detailed daily basis are aware of it, and most of your listeners are aware of it. But the masses of Americans depend on major media, unfortunately, to a lesser degree than previously, because a lot of people are waking up, but we depend on that. There's no other explanation for why Democrats win anything. Let's face it. If, if you are like this morning when I was, by the way, uh, benching eight uh, times for 335 pounds, I'm watching, you know, Fox and Friends, and uh, they're talking about the crime wave in uh, Washington, D.C. I mean, these, these folks are, they, they will let people suffer within their own jurisdictions, because Washington, D.C. is 99% Democrat, yeah. and then tell us these things aren't happening. It's, it's an incredible thing to watch, and we have to do something about it. And Republicans, you know, you know my hobby horse on this, Republicans can't simply come up with good policy prescriptions. They have to get plum, mad dog, mean, and constantly talk about it, constantly get on the stump and talk about it to let people know, because we have a deficit of information with respect to the media, and the Republicans need to get out there. Get on the stump. Don't let your comments be filtered through the media. I'm glad you're out of the crime issue, because I do want to talk about that in a little bit. But I want to follow up on the Bowman story in two ways. Number one, which I kind of alluded to, you know, he interrupted an official proceeding. Should he not be subject to the same charges uh, that the J6 people are? And number two, how about the messaging that was sent from Bowman to fellow congressional Democrats? Uh, Bowman's office. It's entitled, it was a document first reported by Politico entitled Messaging Guidance, Support Congressman Jamal Bowman After Accidental Fire Alarm, end quote. And it included these following suggested uh, statements in support of Bowman. Quote, it's clear my colleague Congressman Bowman was simply rushing to the floor to cast his vote to prevent a shutdown and support working class families. Number two. House Republicans are obviously trying to distract from the fact that they cannot govern and that they nearly shut down the federal government for no reason. And number three is the money line. I believe Congressman Bowman, when he says this was an accident, Republicans need to instead focus their energy on the Nazi members of their party before anything else. Uh, The last one is there are multiple insurrectionist supporters in Congress and more who supported a coup and support Trump's big lie. That's what they should be focused on. Instead, they focus on Rep. Bowman as an attempt to minimize January 6th. (sighs) Yeah, what that tells me, Bob, what that tells me, Bob, is for him to say these things 
with such audacity, I mean, these patently false and ridiculous things, tells you precisely what they think of the media and us. They know that in most cases they can get away with such absurdity. I mean, here there's a video and we can see how stupid he is. And we know precisely what happened. But nonetheless, these types of talking points, I've seen them. You know, during my time in Washington, I've seen talking points distributed that are absurd, that are abject lies. And um, if a Republican says that it is presently 10, let's see, was it 10, 16 a.m., he's going to get fact-checked by the media. But if a Democrat says that it's 3 a.m., you know, it'll be dutifully reported by our uh, water carriers in the media. It is also predictable that he would make some allusion to Republicans being racists or Nazis or something of that nature. That's their go-to line, no matter what. And um, it, it is it is a shame that the people of New York elect people like this. But it's also a shame. Again, I don't mean to be drumming on Republicans constantly, but this is, you know, it's such a unique opportunity. We have so many opportunities on the part of Republicans. They can win and must win. Not that I think they're all that great or anything, but they're clearly superior. At least the policy prescriptions are superior to those of Democrats that are destroying this country. But you've got to be loud. You've got to be active. You've got to be energetic. And you've got to go places that you haven't gone before. Because people will be receptive to the message. But if they don't hear the message, they're simply going to keep pulling the lever for the deeds. Well, you're exactly right. That is what they will continue to do. And this is, uh, this is just an astounding development. By the way, to summarize that one to, into point three, it's Jamal Bowman saying, I pulled the fire alarm because Republicans are Nazis. That's all I heard. Uh, and that's yeah. pretty much what they're trying to say. It's crazy. Peter, we're going to take a time out here so we can pivot into some other important things. I'm glad you brought up crime in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere because, um, we're going to talk about some of the manifestations of, uh, of that crime, especially. And now it's biting people who opposed law enforcement that would have brought that crime under control in a, in a huge way. And I'll explain that and get your reaction to it as we continue. Always Right Radio with Kirsten. Now back with us on AM. All right. Um, we continue now with our good friend Peter Kirstenau, United States Civil Rights Commissioner, attorney, best-selling author, uh, and so much more. Pete, you brought up crime in Washington, D.C., and how they are so willing, uh, the, the left is, to sell out even their own people. As you say, D.C. is 99% Democrat, and uh, and crime is so extraordinary. Henry Cuellar uh, just was carjacked outside of his home. Um, and here's another example, and I want to make it clear. I'm not celebrating this at all. This is sad, and it's tragic, but I think it should also be con- uh, instructive um, when individuals who have made it, you know, their point to try to condemn law enforcement and to try to um, demonize law enforcement and claim that the, you know, the crime issue is something that doesn't need to be, uh, uh, they don't, we don't need to spend as much time, you know, hand wringing about it uh, because it's it's overblown. They think this is just uh, uh, something that is. Uh, uh, a, a tool of the right, I guess, to come down on people, particularly people of color who are predominantly and, and disproportionately represented in the crime statistics. But um, a Philadelphia writer was shot and killed um, after months of condemnation of police. Uh, progressive Philadelphia journalist by the name of Josh Kruger who tweeted repetitively about all of the different ills involving police and all of the problems that they cause, um, was shot and killed. Um, 
one of the one of the more recent ones was from July, in which he responded to a tweet about policing, who said, "Bro, speak for your block. Mine isn't ruined." talking about his block on which he lives. The city isn't ruined, and just because Larry Krasner keeps winning in landslides doesn't mean Philly is a heap of cinders and ashes, no matter how much people like to say, like the rest of the country, we're dealing with upticks in crime. Minimizing the crime rise while they demonized police, and now he was shot and killed um, on his block, the place that he defended. So I guess the point of this, Peter, is, and he's not the only one, uh, but the point is left-wingers are starting to find that the concerns that we express over the safety of our communities and uh, the protection of our neighborhoods and our families, some of those who, um, you know, who, who dismissed our concerns are starting to find out the hard way, and I wonder if there will be lessons learned from these things. I unfortunately don't think so. I concur with everything you've said, and there have been numerous examples of politicians who have been you know, defund the police advocates. There's the one in Minneapolis, for example. There's one in Seattle who uh, very vividly then became victims of crime and now are, you know, staunch uh, supporters of funding the police. They, you know, go out of their way now. Uh, But they were the engines behind reducing police presence and demonizing police and also getting these uh, progressive prosecutors installed into office. We're going to be having a, a hearing and a whole study on crime and crime victims at the Civil Rights Commission in two, two uh, months. We're having a, a big hearing on it. The progressives vigorously opposed having that hearing, but after some machinations, we, we've got, got it uh, scheduled. And we've got a whole host of uh, criminologists and police chiefs and uh, Justice Department people to testify about it. But uh, in the process of preparing for it, you see extraordinary data with respect to the rampant crime that is being, frankly, um, uh, minimized in the media. If this were, you know, put this way, if this were occurring in Republican strongholds under Republican regimes, the media probably would be going nuts. But they try to cover up the things that are going on. We have enormous spikes in crime in urban areas, predominantly in areas where you've got these previously defund the police advocates. But now you're starting to see a little bit of you know, some cracks in the uh, uh, wall that, uh, you know, you got Chicago, in Philadelphia, in, in some cases in Washington, D.C., of some politicians finally seeing the light, probably after they themselves got hit over the head, you know, metaphorically, or had their cars stolen or something else, that one of the most, I said this within a day after George Floyd, I was on the Tucker Show, and I said something that every one of your audience members knows intuitively, and that is defund the police is insane. The defund the police is one of the most insane slogans, let alone policies, we've ever seen in politics. And why are we paying taxes, Bob? I mean, the government, the first order of government is to secure our homes and property for us, because we can't do it ourselves. That's their first obligation, and yet they're abdicating their primary duty. Why are we paying taxes? I mean, this is nuts. If they're not going to do that, I shouldn't have to pay taxes. You know, but they're they're funding everything else in the world. They'll fund Ukraine to the tune of what? I think it's $230 already. Um, Strike that, $130 Uh, but no, they can't fund you know law enforcement. They can't fund our border. We're having more criminals come across the border, and you know, I'm sorry for you know going in 18 different directions, but it's all of a piece. 
Well, uh, we're going to talk about the border. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the border after the bottom anyway, so I'm glad you brought that up. That is a big part of this. But just to kind of cap the, the point that I was making here when I say I hope this is instructive, that people better be careful what they say and how they view these things, because I'm going to give you three more messages from Josh Kruger, murder victim in Philadelphia. Uh, and chronologically, this is from July. It's a beautiful picture of Philadelphia, and it looks peaceful and calm. It says, look, it's that lawless land of liberals here in Philly where shootings are dropping to levels not seen in years. We are dependent on national trends for better or worse. It's unfair to blame local cops for rising crime, inaccurate to credit cops with drops. Now, that was July. Then we go to, oh, I guess I went out of order here because this one is February of this year, but... Today, I learned there is apparently a crippling crime wave destroying all cities, according to Stephen Miller, which includes presumably Philly. My house is not on fire. Chaos is not raining in my street. I saw a man get a parking ticket yesterday, and my trash got picked up. And then, Peter, this is the one that brings it home. Just four days ago, on September 30th, Josh Kruger, this very progressive writer from Philadelphia, reporter from Philadelphia, tweeted the following in uh, retweeting Scott Adams. He's the Dilbert creator that got canceled for talking about race and, uh, and the role of race and crime in neighborhoods. Scott Adams tweeted in 2020, before the election, if Biden is elected, there's a good chance you will be dead within the year. Four days ago, Josh Kruger retweeted that with the line, the Dilbert dude is like Nostradamus. Look at this prediction from 2020. Wow. Eerie. It is eerie because just yeah, just is. literally, you know, uh, you know, th- three years after Scott Adams Adams tweeted that about Biden, this man was shot and killed in Philadelphia, the neighborhood and the and the city that he says is not a uh, liberal cr- criminal cesspool. These are not one-offs, Bob. You have several Democratic politicians. Remember the one in Minnesota, the chair of the Democratic uh, uh, Party in Minnesota. What was her name? Savanti. I think it was or something of that. Who's talking about defund the police, defund the police, demonizing to death. And then she gets carjacked, and now she's done a 180. It's the, the version of not in my backyard kind of thing. It's the obverse of that. But you have so many of these politicians. We could go down a laundry list of them who, you know, they're mugged by reality, no pun intended, and then they switch. But in the meantime, yeah. what I found in our research, and this is, you don't even have to research this. You know this intuitively, just being alive, that these politicians who like to virtue signal, claiming that police are racist and, you know, this harms poor people and predominantly people of color, the people who get harmed by these inane policies, the people who want the police presence are black and brown people and poor people who are most likely to be the victims exactly. of these criminals. They nobody never cares to about on the street. You come to nobody my cares about those the, poor and black and brown people. They don't care about right. the victims who are black and brown. They only care that the perpetrators are black and brown, and we have to stop them from going to jail because equity. Pete, we'll take a time out and come back and pick that up right after this. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, we can continue now with Peter Kersenow. Let's push that button for me over there, Seth. Thank you. Uh, and um, Peter Kersenow, I apologize for cutting you off there at the, uh, at the end. We had to get to the news break. But um, uh, let's move into the immigration. You brought it up, and I'm glad that you did. Corinne Jean-Pierre said that the... Um, 
attempt by Republicans, House Republicans, to tie border security funding to any funding that might continue for Ukraine in the in the uh, budget negotiation in the continuing resolution is nothing but a political stunt. She literally says, and it is the belief I think of the entire uh, Biden administration that that the border is literally. Uh, not to be secured. It's not a matter of, you know, hey, you know, we're trying our best and it's just not working. Their intent is to not secure it. And any attempt to put funding forward to do so is just a political stunt. Peter, I, talk, I don't know if I brought this up to you before or not, but Greg Abbott has had his Texas National Guardsmen putting up razor wire, just just right. miles and miles of looping razor wire to try to slow down the migrants. Joe Biden is sending feds in behind them, cutting it. Uh, so that it's easier for people to get in. It's not, you know, hey, we, you know, these people are coming in. You know, we're doing our best to stop them, but we have to deal with them once they get here, especially when they claim asylum. Peter, they're literally trying to make it easier for people to come in to erase the border to the tune of seven and a half million illegals who have come in uh, since Joe Biden was inaugurated. Uh, and now they're overrunning American cities. They are killing people with drugs. They're bringing guns. They're bringing, you know, they're human traffickers, gang members, people on the terrorist watch list, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're calling it gamesmanship or stunts when we say, no, we have a responsibility as federal government officials to secure our homeland. As a matter of fact, we have a secretary of that department whose job is to secure the homeland, and instead they're literally doing just the opposite. They're even getting in the way of attempts to secure it when it's done at the state level. Yeah. There's so much to say about this. You could spend 10 shows on this and still not even scratch the surface of the abomination that is the Biden administration's alleged immigration policy. Their immigration policy is to have the United States overrun with people who they hope will eventually vote for Democrats because after somebody's here for a period of time, they realize the Democratic Party is the death of America and will start voting for Republicans. So you have to have new dupes to come in every single year. Now, the problem for them is a significant percentage of those coming across are Venezuelans who've seen this movie before, and many more Hispanics generally are moving toward the Republican Party. So they may find out that, uh, you know, they weren't that bright to begin with. But nonetheless, we have had, by most reports, and it's probably understated, 7 million people come across the border since the Biden administration began. And I think that's probably an undercount. But seven I, I was told by Mark Morgan, uh, seven and a half, because it was six million, you know, official that, the, you know, asylum seekers that they, you know, catch and release and so forth. And then a million and a half known gotaways. The unknown gotaways is literally unknown. So so just with the, what they know, it's seven and a half million since Inauguration Day 2021. Yeah, and that's larger than the number, than the population of more than half the states in the United States of America, just in the short period of the Biden administration. They're bringing uh, disease. They're not being checked as people would be in ports of entry. Uh, they're bringing drugs. They're being, uh, I had several posts on National Review years ago about the number of criminals that are coming across, and it's astonishing. I mean, those who already have criminal records before they come across, and then on top of that are those that commit crimes here in the United States. Now, that's supposed to be, if you say stuff like that, the liberals will chastise you, but my goodness, if somebody is willing to cross the border illegally, look, we have a wide 
open immigration system in this country. Stand in line, do the right thing, and you get into this country. We reject virtually nobody. But when you do something like this, it starts to make you wonder if you're the first act upon entering to the United States is to commit a crime, then what else are you going to do? I don't mean to be painting a broad brush, but my goodness, we have sovereignty to protect here. We've got our infrastructure to protect here. We've got our health to protect here. We, frankly, have our safety to protect. Because in the last fiscal year, we had 78 people on the terror watch list. I've said this before. These are the people who we know of who've actually made the list. Yeah. 78 who were apprehended. Who knows how many gotaways there were? In 2019, before the Biden administration, there were zero. Zero. Now we have 78. And I've said this before. It only it took less than 20 to bring down you know, to kill 3,000 Americans on 9-11 and bring down the Twin Towers. And yet we're just waving people into this country. They are Chinese nationals, as people have noted. They are Iranians. They are North Koreans. And in addition to people who are coming here who are, you know, uh, operatives for cartels, this is nuts what is going on. And we're going to be suffering because of this. We're going to be suffering uh, financially. We're going to be suffering in terms of our health. I mean, diseases that had been eradicated in the United States of America for decades are now reappearing. We're going to be hurt in so many, uh, you you name the, the, the particular category, and it's going to be bad news. And the Biden administration just kind of waves it away as if it's no big deal. And the reason for that is, as I said, they think it's politically advantageous for them to do so. But now you've got... You know, Hochul of New York, you've got the guy in Chicago, you've got a lot of folks yeah, Pritzker, who are Pritzker's, now being overrun. Yeah, Pritzker yeah. says it's, it's got to, it's got to stop or it's got to be slowed down. Hochul finally coming out here, you know, of course, when, when all of, and by the way, whether it's Pritzker in, in, uh, in Illinois or, or Hochul or, you know, Newsom in California, all of these people were perfectly happy with letting the dam stay open when right. the people were staying in Texas. The hell with the Texas rednecks. Let them deal with it. I don't care what it does to their schools. I don't care what it does to their medical uh, facilities. I don't care how overrun they are trying to feed, clothe, house, and, and take care of all of these people. As long as it's in Texas, I don't give a rat's butt. We are a welcoming country. It says so on the Statue of Liberty. But now that they're overflowing Texas and being either on their own or they're being uh, shipped up to these these left-wing sanctuary cities and states, Peter, now suddenly it's, well, now we've got to do something about it. Hello? What have we been saying for years? And by the way, one last thing on this, Pete, that you can comment on if you wish. I'm sick to death of being told that we need to uh, give amnesty to the 11 million illegals that, have been, that, that are living right. here. They have been saying 11 million for 30 years. And as you and I just talked about, it's over 7 million since, uh, since January of 2021, for crying out loud. So add those to the 11 we're there. Now we're up to 18, 19 million. That's minimum. And we know it's, of course, a lot more than that. So we're talking about tens of millions of illegals who are here. And it's only when it comes up and bites Kathy Hochul or Eric Adams or Pritzker or anybody else in, you know, in these left wing cities and states, uh, that they actually actually care about it yeah I, I think 
Again, I, I want to go back to my hobby horse of Republicans because the Democrats are a lost cause. Yeah, now they're starting to realize that's hurting everybody, so they're making some noises about it. But will they actually take action, legislative action, enforcement action? Mayorkas, by the way, should be impeached. And that gets me to the Republicans again. Republicans have so many, and I, look, if, if they're only cared about their own self-political interest, they've got a number of opportunities here. It's extraordinary political interest. They could do good and do well at the same time by making a bigger deal out of this and actually trying to push bills, even if they don't get passed, because the people who are being hurt by this will vote to stop this if you make the case that you're going to do it. But the Republicans have, a lot of them have been shy about doing it with the exception of the usual suspects. And by that, I mean that in a good way. But as an example, Mayorkas should be impeached. I've written him a number of times as a member of the Civil Rights Commission indicating how badly things are happening as a result. I mean, 10 years ago, I testified before uh, the Senate on uh, the fact that illegal immigration disproportionately harms black Americans. And the reason I did that is because I'm not trying to play the race card or anything. I thought that was the best way of bringing home to everybody how bad this is for the United States, even, maybe even get some Democrats on board, okay? But no, it didn't. And now the damage that's going to be done to black Americans in terms of illegal immigrants taking jobs previously held by black Americans because they very often uh, uh, compete in the same labor market. You see in Chicago where uh, black children are being yeah. forced out of schools because of illegal immigrants being housed. I mean, it's stunning the damage that's happening to the, to the black community. Democrats aren't going to do anything about it because they see these folks as replacements for the usual loyalty of black voters. Republicans need to say something about this and do something about it. One thing is, you know, impeach Mayorkas. You can. I mean, th this guy is, is in charge of doing this stuff. These are uh, ripe articles for impeachment. But beyond that, go and get votes from this constituency that's hoping to get some type of, some type of salvation from their government from this onslaught. We are about to send this whole thing with respect to the border wall and Ukraine funding. We have spent... $77 billion on Ukraine as of September 21. $77 billion, and it's projected that we will have spent $135 billion by the end of this year. $135 billion to secure Ukraine's border. $135. I don't know who voted to do that. I don't know if there's been a discussion to do that. I don't know if anybody's explained what the end game here is. By the way, talking about end game. You know, only 400 square miles of territory have been exchanged in that war over 20 months, almost nearly two years, 420 square miles, which is smaller than Cuyahoga County. And a lot of people have been killed. So you may be in favor of Ukraine funding for whatever reason in a kind of generic way, but my goodness, what is the end game here? What, what's, what are we going to do? We never heard an explanation from the Biden administration other than let's pay them more money with no strings attached. We don't know where the money's going in a country that was considered to be one of the most corrupt in the entire world. We have no accountability, don't know where anything is going whatsoever, whether or not it's doing any good. Doesn't matter. Simply open up our wallets and forget the border wall. $18 billion over 10 years versus $130 billion in barely over a year and a half for Ukraine. This is very bad. Yeah. And you know what? Ukraine bought a number of uh, American politicians for chump change. The 
folks who are getting money from Ukraine, and this is one of the reasons why there was the first impeachment, because Trump was asking about it. Where's this money going here? He was asking about it, and he gets impeached, and now we know why. You've got Kerry getting money. You've got Biden getting money. You've got Biden's son getting money. Every Biden gets money. Everybody gets money. And the top tier of the Democratic Party all got money. But you know what? There's evidence that a couple of Republicans did, too. Let me uh, so, let me interrupt you know a minute what? because That's money well spent is if you're Ukraine. <clears throat> yeah, and, and by the way, I don't. You said there's 75 million or something, whatever your number was. I think you're undervaluing this. According to the Department Office of Inspector General, uh, Congress has so far approved 113 billion in aid to Ukraine. This is 113. Yeah, that's approved, Bob. That's it. That's it. Now that's before the next. Been- yeah, that's before right. the next outlay is put out there, which, of course, is, is, is going to happen. There wasn't any in this continuing resolution. There will be a separate standalone Ukraine funding bill because all Democrats support it and about half of the Republicans do. So it's very clear that this is going through. So what I want to ask you, Pete, already $113 billion taxpayer dollars going there while our border is invaded with all of the ramifications and impacts that you just laid out for us so eloquently, uh, uh, afflicting the American people. How do you respond to those who say, yeah, but Putin, 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 you can't be a Putin asset. You can't hit sit here and say, you know, I don't want to fund Ukraine because you are doing Putin's bidding for him. Worse off. Because we're sending a message that we won't stand with a nation that's invaded by a bigger superpower, you are now putting Taiwan on notice that they are going to be hit by China and the U.S. will do nothing. So, so Peter Kersenow, you don't want to send this money to Ukraine. Why are you such a big fan of Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin? Well, this plays right into the hands of Xi Jinping and what's his name in North Korea, Iran. They have formed an alliance now because we don't have an articulated end game nobody knows what the end game is other than to show that we're big and tough and that we won't countenance incursions on our friends ostensible friends territory okay this is supposedly going to send a signal to xi jinping that hands off taiwan in the meantime in reality here's what's happening we have no end game so we don't know when this ends but more importantly is we are depleting munitions at a rate that our own Defense Department says we will not be able to defend ourselves, let alone Taiwan. This is craziness. It's craziness on steroids. Somebody explain to we stupid, benighted people in the United States of America how this is protecting the interests of the United States of America. How's it doing that? If they gave us a credible explanation, I'd be willing to entertain maybe spending some money. But we are now 20 months into the Ukraine war. Everybody hates Putin, you know, and deservedly so. But again, what's in the interest of the United States? We have we spent two point three trillion dollars on Afghanistan. Two thousand four hundred brave Americans were killed in Afghanistan. We left $80 billion of equipment in Afghanistan. And what has changed in the 20 years we were there? Well, the Taliban got more powerful. They're now in charge of the government there. Because we have no, and no one's articulating an endgame. We have morons in, in charge of so many aspects of our higher levels of government. But unfortunately, also, I think the American people need to rise up and say, no mas. Until you tell us what it is 
that you're doing that serves the American interest and stop doing things that manifestly derogate our interests, such as having a wide open border through which tons of drugs, criminals and terrorists are coming across. Yeah, you've uh, you've laid it out perfectly, uh, Peter, and and you're right. They have allied with one another, and and the concern, though, and, and again, I'm really trying to be fair to this. I am done funding Ukraine as well. I understood at the very beginning we needed to give them a hand, you know, uh, you know, just to kind of uh, not let them be overrun as quickly as uh, everybody predicted. And uh, I'm 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 out of patience, and we're out of money. We're 33 trillion dollars in debt. And we're operating on a two trillion dollar budget deficit for crying out loud. So I'm done with the funding of Ukraine. But those who say that if we don't stop them at Ukraine, Russia will then go into Poland. Russia will go back to trying to rebuild and restart the Soviet bloc of nations that they had that ended in nineteen uh, what ninety one uh, after uh, you know after Reagan got them to tear the wall down and the Soviet Union crumbled. This is the beginning of a of a much broader expanse through Eastern Europe. That's what the argument is. Do you see it that way? Well, I see that that's the argument that's being made, and I'm not going to simply dismiss the argument. I think it needs to be entertained. I think it does. And I think you have to then say, okay, well, what again, what's the end game? And if this is, in fact, Putin's aim, which, by the way, I don't think it is. I mean, I'll entertain the argument, but I don't think that's his aim. I think his aim was to reconstitute the old Soviet, Soviet Union, okay? But if there is a palpable fear that that's what Putin's objective is, then why don't those nations that are most at risk because of that poning up any money? Where's Germany? Where's, you know, all these countries that are right next door, yeah, they're poning up a little bit of money and maybe a few pieces of uh, equipment, relatively speaking. But my goodness, they don't seem to be pulling out their hair. Now, there was a time at the outset of the invasion that a lot of Germans were very nervous about this, okay, and Poles too. They were very nervous because at the outset, you don't know what the intent is. You don't know what's going to happen or anything of that nature. But now, boy, they're back to their old ways now. They're not spending the kind of money you would think they would be spending if, in fact, they thought that Putin's aim legitimately was to reconstitute the old Soviet bloc with Poland and Hungary and Czechoslovakia, etc. I don't think that's what his aim is. I'll entertain it, and I think we have to be vigilant about it. But again, what is our end game, and what are we prepared to do to stop him? Well, that's uh, that's that's the question, and that's ultimately what this debate about funding is. You know, if we don't stop them here, then we end up having to stop them in stop him and them in another way. Do we end up at you know? Because as soon as they go into a NATO country, we are obligated to to send troops, right? If they go into a NATO country, doesn't our alliance essentially say if you attack us one, you attack us all? That's what the, isn't that the point of the yeah, alliance? Yeah, you know, again, I I am not some geopolitical savant here, uh, but the bottom line here is I think. People understand human nature, and look, I do know my history. The fact of the matter is, Putin is having a hell of a time just vanquishing Ukraine. There is no way in the world I think Putin could credibly go into Poland or any other place. He doesn't want to trigger a war with NATO. He doesn't want to do it. It's a simple self-preservation says he doesn't want to do that at all. And, you know, I do think that one of the reasons he went into Ukraine, and again, I'm not making excuses for Putin, but you have to look at this thing with a cold eye because we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars. I do think that he wanted a buffer against NATO. He got most squirrely when it appeared as if there was NATO expansion. 
He's concerned about that. I'm not making excuses for him. I'm not justifying him or anything else like that. But if you're going to craft a strategy, you have to understand how your opponent views things, especially when you are putting $100 billion into the endeavor with no discernible effect, number one, and no explanation to the American people whose money it is what your ultimate end game is. I haven't heard that explanation. We're just throwing money down the drain. It may be that we need to do that, but no one has explained why or how we should do it to the advantage of the American people. And at the same time, we have our back door wide open, can't even spend a few billion dollars to to, uh, uh, create a wall, and are being told that instead, 5,000 miles away is where our attention should be, not on our southern border. I reject that implicitly, and I think we're taken for a big ride. A billion percent agree with that. Peter Kersenow, uh, terrific job as always, my friend. Thank you for articulating, articulating it so clearly, unlike what I just did. And we will talk to you again next week. Thank you, my friend. Take care, Bob. All right, God bless. It's uh, 1056. We'll take a time out. Top of the hour news. <clears throat> Then we talk about crime in Cleveland. Then we talk about how and why it is that Cleveland police are not able to do their jobs and why they are 424 officers under budget. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for your business in Cleveland? What does that mean for you as a tourist or a visitor to Cleveland? Steve Loomis will join us next on Always Right Radio, AM4. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Alrighty then. Hour number three now underway on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us. Thanks to Peter Kirsten out. Tremendous conversation. We had a really great interview filled with new information, I think, from uh, J.D. Vance. Senator Vance joined us in the first hour of the broadcast. So if you missed that, it's available to you right now at whkradio.com. But I highly recommend that you wait about another 45 minutes or before you listen to it, because then you will miss the chat we're about to have with Steve Loomis. Steve Loomis is a Cleveland police detective. He is a former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, and he's an outspoken advocate of getting the police staffing level back to a manageable place to prevent uh, crime and protect the people of Cleveland. Uh, Steve Loomis, good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? Uh, good to be here, Bob. Thank you very Steve, much for having me on. You got it. It's uh, There's a lot of stuff I want to talk about with you today, uh, Steve, and I guess we'll start right there. According to um, a recent report from the Public Safety Committee, um, we're talking now 424. That's the shortage of police officers under budgeted levels. 
uh, that the city of Cleveland is operating under. I remember talking to you in the last couple of years when it was over 300. I'm thinking, how the hell are the people of this city, businesses in this city, visitors to the city, supposed to expect any kind of security when there are 300-some officers under budget? Now it's 424, and Steve, I know you track these things diligently. The trend is that it's going to continue to get worse. What can you tell us? Well, um, you know, speaking as a citizen of uh, a resident of Cleveland, um, unfortunately, um, I had to take the day off for uh, today for uh, some medical tests that's going on with my wife. But mm-hmm. all that aside, it's it's a terrible situation. I think the four hundred, the number that you're saying is talking about a budget staffing level in Cleveland, as I read in the media, of one thousand six hundred. 42 people um that budgeted staffing level has been reduced um this year to 1450 so whatever those numbers turn out to be um it's still too many people short um the these guys and girls god well, bless here's them. here's here's what i have steve just to and this is a this is a uh a, a 19 news report um, yes according to 19 news they quote cleveland police department as the d- budgeted staff is at 1,640 officers this year. Since January, it's lost another 128 and has only managed to hire 28. So compared to what they're budgeted, that's how they came up with this number of being down 424. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, again, you know, you say tomato, I'd say tomato. The numbers aren't what's important. The fact is is that we are down significantly and we're going to continue to go down significantly. There's uh, when you're hiring 28 people, when you're hiring classes of nine, and you're losing um, 15 to 25 people in a month um, of six months, uh, the academy six months. So, you know, you're losing 90 to 110 people in a in a six month academy, and you're hiring 29 in a year. Um, there's a problem there. You know, I'm not a smart guy, but I can do the math on that. And that's Bob. That's the way it's been um, for decades. Now, since uh, Mayor Jane Campbell got rid of 254 police officers in a single day in 2003, um, we've never had a a uh, a uh, um, a year where we've hired more people than we've lost. It's continuously gone down from that point, and we can't do any more with any less. These these guys and gals out here, and, and I'm going to respectfully call them kids because I'm 30 years on this job, um, but they are killing themselves to try to keep the law-abiding citizens safe in this city and um, with absolutely no help. I don't want to hear from a city councilman, by the way. Um, I, I read that article, and there was a lot of city councilmen talking about a lot of things, mm-hmm. and they've known. I've sent them letters as the union president about these staffing levels and our concerns, and that's been for 15 years now. So they've known. I, I don't want to hear them throwing their hands up in the air going, oh, my God, how did we get to this state? They've known. Um, they haven't had the political will to address it with whatever mayor happens to be in office. So now we're stuck. Um, now we're stuck with depending on the state troopers to come in here, um, depending on the county sheriffs to come in here. And, we, and we'll take all the help we can get at this point because I live in this city and I'm raising my kids in this city. And, and, and I don't want to see it get any uh, go any further. The violent crime rates are, are crazy. We're on, we're on pace for a record year of homicides this year. 
Um, it, it seems to be just, the case every year. But, uh, every year. So, so let, let year. me interrupt. So. Let me interrupt for just a second because I understand you don't want to hear from the city council. They're not doing anything about it. What can be done about it? Given the fact that you just had, because I talked to you like two months ago about the academy class uh, and the fact that Carrie Howard essentially, you know, uh, weeded out a, a significant number of the people who passed the test and were ready to go and then uh, took them out of, you know, out of uh, 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 the equation as far as, you know, joining joining the department and going into the academy for reasons that are sure. perhaps perhaps racially motivated based on some of the things that Carrie Howard has said in the past. But the point is, out of that class, only nine were actually sworn in. And then, if I heard it correctly, like half of those quit shortly thereafter. So you only added like four or five uh, officers. So my my question is, is, aside from city council, aside from you know all of the other things that are causing this problem of, of under-budgeting, let's say they did say, let's go do an active recruitment here and bring in a class of 50, 60 and grow this thing. You can't find the applicants, can you, that are qualified? Well, you could if, if it wasn't such a toxic work environment right now. Um, the, the clean police officers have been uh, at the bottom of the pay scale. Uh, toxic in just state. Cleveland, or, or are you talking about overall in America right now? Because No, I'm talking, listen, Columbus doesn't have this problem. Okay. San Diego doesn't have this problem. Um, there, there are cities that are addressing it. Certainly every single one of the surrounding suburbs of, of Cleveland doesn't have this problem because our guys and gals are going there. Um, it, it's, it's, a to, it's a combination of a toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a combination of not having faith in the administration to help us out uh, other than bringing in, you know, the National Guard or whatever the heck they're talking about. You know, you have to put a 1,000% of your uh, uh, efforts into recruitment and retention, period. You said 128 people have left this the department this year. Um, 71 of them have resigned. Bob, I, 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 I guarantee you in, in the first 25 years of my existence on this department, we didn't have 71, 71 people that resigned. These kids are leaving. They're leaving us and they're leaving for good reason because there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, um, if there's a, when we had the blackout, every single clean police officer that was on the job at that time went to the districts. They didn't get called to the districts. They went to the, the whatever district they worked at because they knew that this was a very dangerous situation and it was something that we needed to, to do. That's, that's, in, that, that's embedded in our DNA, police officers everywhere. They went without question. Um, and it was three days and it was over, right? There was a light at the end of that tunnel. The cops in New York, you know, during 9-11, Every single one of them went, and, and, and a lot of them paid for it, you know, dearly paid for it. But they went, and when it was over, it was over. I don't know how long that was. Um, this situation, there is no over. This is guys being manda- mandatory overtime. Imagine being at work where, you know, being at work, and a half hour before you leave, somebody says, hey, you got to stay for an, a, another shift, you know, as if, the men and women of the police department don't have families, don't have dogs and cats that they care don't have other responsibilities, don't have the responsibilities that everybody else in the society has. You have to stay here and you have to like it. And they don't. So they're leaving. And, and that's unfortunate. So in order to address this problem, they have to put a thousand percent attention into recruitment, 
And, uh, you know, I know they just bumped the pay up to $25. Well, thank God they did that because I made $8.50. This has been a problem that's been brewing in this city, administration to administration to administration. Now now they're going to have to pay the piper, and they are paying the piper. And and the politicians are all, you know, they, they, they may not tell you, but they're all, every single one of them is worried about it um, politically because – I see the people out in these neighborhoods. I see the people in my neighborhood. We have block meetings in that. And, and these folks are absolutely livid about And I'm talking about the law-abiding citizens, you know. Then we throw issue 24 into this mess and community police commissions that think they know how to police um, into this mess. And, you know, all the woke nonsense that's going on um, with regard to the false narrative against police officers and and it is an absolute recipe for disaster, and it is not going to get better. It will not get better until the administration in this city absolutely addresses that. And the only way that they can get these kids to stay is to to get the toxicity, the, the, the toxins Toxicity. out of the work yeah. environment that we have here um, with this consent decree. And where, by the way, where are the people in the consent decree? Where are the monitors that are making seven hundred and fifty dollars an hour? Bob, how are they not piping in to the well, staffing well, levels I'm, that we I'm have glad, right I'm now. glad you brought that up because I want to talk about that a little bit. <clears throat> and specifically, um, I want to talk about one of the uh, civilian police commissioners. She, she actually introduced herself as a commissioner. Now, I'm going to try to play a clip here for you, Steve. We're talking to Steve Loomis, who is talking to us today as a citizen of Cleveland, not, not specifically in his duties as a police officer and a former Patrolman's Association president. This was, a, this was a story that was done by Fox 8 last week, and I became aware of it and tried to play yesterday. Now the audio, or excuse me, the video is a little bit glitchy at times here. Hopefully we can make out what happened, but this is a member of uh, the Citizen Cleveland Police Commission. Interfering is the best word I guess I can use here. Interfering with or obstructing, maybe is a stronger word, um, an arrest of a potentially violent suspect who was being arrested for domestic violence in Tremont. And and I want you to listen to what happened here, Steve, and then I want to get your reaction to it, because I think this okay. ties into the consent decree and the uh, oversight, if you will, of police by, by, um, by civilians. Listen. I'm not playing. I'm not going nowhere. Just take me. Uh, it's going to buffer again. Mark, Cleveland police watch a dangerous suspect. Uh, it's funny. I played this by myself just to see, because yesterday I tried to play it, in a, and it, it kept mm-hmm. doing that glitchy buffering thing. And then I played it by myself, and it played clean. So I tried to put it on the air again, and now it's going to buffer again. So uh, I'll just have to describe it for you. So this violent suspect is very loud, very enraged, screaming, I'm not playing, I'm not going nowhere, just take me on out. He's surrounded by police officers when up comes a person named Terry Wang, who is a citizen, a member of the Citizen Cleveland Police Commission. She starts recording and interfering with the officer, saying, I am a Cleveland Police Commissioner, and I want to make sure this man is okay. The officers ask her to get out of the way. Back up, please. Back up a little bit. You're taking our focus off of a violent offender. And she said, uh, there's just one guy that's irate. And the officer says, can you please back up? We're trying to de-escalate. She said, surrounding him with 10 officers is not really the best way to de-escalate. So, Steve, she's on the scene. This isn't, you know, the commission 
evaluating a complaint of excessive force or a complaint of anything and doing oversight of police, which is what the consent decree required and what this particular commission does. She's now going actively in the middle of the, the, the events. And I watched that situation play out on, on Fox 8. That was the clip I was trying to play, Steve. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, if he made a move toward her, talking about the violent uh, a su- a suspect here, if he made a move toward her and the police officers would have had to shoot him to stop him from harming her or, or use other, you know, uh, le- uh, other force against him, that would have been on her, but the cops would have been the ones who paid the price. Um, she's interfering with an actual arrest. To me, it looks like she's obstructing a police, uh, an official police investigation. But I'm not a cop. You are. You have experience. How do you see that situation? Um, absolutely. I, I saw that. I saw that clip. Um, I got calls from several of the guys that were very upset up on scene because she actually put them in danger. Of the, they had that situation under control. Um, she should have been arrested for obstructing. Period. Amen. We have to be in charge of those situations. Now, she can pay for all she wants, and those guys just asked her to move away because it was upsetting the suspect in this case. He was telling her to move away um, in, in this case. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a city councilman. I don't care if you're a Cleveland police commissioner. I don't know even what that means. Um, but the last thing that we need is untrained civilians with agendas um, interfering in, in things that we're doing out on the street. There's not enough of us to do this. And those guys handled that um, very professionally. And the fact yeah. of the matter is, is that 10 police officers standing around him is absolutely de-escalating that situation. Absolutely. They weren't forcing him to do anything. They spent a lot of time, uh, uh, you know, over an hour sitting and, and talking to that guy and trying to get him to calm down. But there's 10 of them doing it. So the whole time he's thinking, what? Um, and if there was one or two of them, then maybe he's making a, a, a different choice and a worse choice. Exactly. Yeah. Of them he's probably there. thinking, I can get through two of them. You know, and that puts yeah. everybody and in for, danger, including him. So you overwhelm yeah. them with force. Go ahead. Yeah. For her to intercede in that, um, being untrained, thinking that she knows something about police work, and, and, and work stepping in the shoes of the men and women, the heroic men and women in this police department. Um, and, and I mean that with every ounce of fiber in me, um, putting up with, putting up with that situation. That's just a problem that they didn't need up there on that team. And she should have been removed from that situation immediately. Um, yeah, completely agree. And, and, and Steve, this to me, you know, I, I made the, uh, the, the equation yesterday, equating it to, you know, somebody got a C in high school algebra, being in charge of evaluating a professor at the collegiate level teaching advanced calculus, uh, and, exactly. and, and, and deciding, uh, you know nothing about the subject. You know nothing about policing, Terry Wang. Why are you trying to tell these police officers how to do their jobs in the middle of, of, of the apprehension of a dangerous suspect? So, uh, Steve Loomis, the reason I'm bringing it up, of course, is I want to know, is this going to be par for the course? 
Are there going to be other members of that ridiculous commission, the civilian commission, which is already predisposed to think police are doing it wrong, already predisposed into thinking police are out to do harm to people, to unarmed pe- people, particularly to unarmed people of color? Is this going to be the way it's done now? Are they going to follow cops around to or, or listen for radio calls and then meet them on the scene to, to evaluate them as they're doing their jobs? Yeah, well, if, if these monitors... And the folks that, from the DOJ that are in charge of this consent decree don't start establishing guidelines and rules for this commission um, and what their job is. And, and I was on that commission as the union president um, when it first started. Now yeah. it's a, you know, now it's a paid gig and they have more authority. Um, then it wasn't. And it was the same thing. There was three police officers on it. In this case, there's one retired police officer on it. Um, and, uh, a bunch of civilians. Now there was a there was good people on there that were trying to do the right thing for the right reasons, but they got overshouted by the activists that were on there that had agendas, and um, they left because it was a volunteer thing. Um, you cannot have the inmates running the asylum, and that's exactly right. what this is. These are if they want to, they want some credibility with the men and women of the police department out here then take a couple weeks off of your busy activist life and and ride a two-week shift in a working zone car. I'm not talking about a, a, a car that's, you know, the commander handpicks somebody. I'm talking about put them in a working zone car. Put them in three Barney 21 and, and have them work for a week straight to really understand what it is that the men and women of this police department go through every day. Yeah. There's a reason why. There's a reason why you can't recruit them. There's a reason why, and there's a reason why the ones that you do recruit are leaving because of exactly the conditions you're talking about, and the lack of support, and the second guessing, and the judgment, and the evaluations of these individuals involved with this commission because of the consent decree. Steve, we're out of time here, uh, so so I won't be able to get to this. Throw the pay in there too, you know. And then there's the pay too. Yeah, yeah. That's another element too. I understand. You can't do any more with any less, Bob, and and we're way past that point in the city and they're not doing anything to address that issue oh you know well we're going to do 12-hour shifts what the heck is 12-hour shifts going to do it doesn't matter if these guys are working two-hour shifts or 12-hour shifts there's x amount of man hours and women hours worth of police work to do in a 24-hour period and there's x amount of folks to do it yep and that number is getting exponentially smaller Yep. While it's, the other it's, number, it's the amount of work we have to do is going up. Um, it's, it's simple math. It, it is. There's nothing yeah. secret about it. There's nothing. It is common sense, and common sense has left the building uh, with this commission. And and you know, and I living in this city, raising my family in this city, that terrifies me. Yeah, because I see. No, I, I get it, Steve, on. and I appreciate your passion for it. But I've got to go here. Yeah, four hundred twenty-four okay. officers down, uh, and 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 those who are on the job are being subjected to treatment like this. It's unbelievable. By, Steve, by the way, this- Bob, real quick, that's forty million dollars. That's a forty million dollar line item. Um, if they budgeted for that number, and we're four hundred short, that's forty million dollars that the city's saving, yep. right there. Yep, and uh, and 40, it seems, no, it seems as though it's not important to them to put that money where it belongs, which is interesting. Well, it goes safety, back so. into the general fund, and it's I know. not earmarked for anything. Not Right, right, and that means they can so, do what so they the want with it. So public safety takes a back seat. Yep. Steve Loomis, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it, Steve. Yes, sir. All right, we'll uh, take a bottom of the hour news break, and we've got one more segment. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 11.35 now. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Great conversation. Steve Loomis, J.D. Vance, Senator J.D. Vance, and Peter Kirsten out today. If you missed any or all of those interviews, you can catch them on uh, the uh, podcast page, whkradio.com, on the Always Right Radio podcast page. I'm also going to put the the, uh, J.D. Vance interview up on my Rumble page. Follow me there. On Rumble at Always Right Radio, on Twitter at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, R-A-N-T-Z, on Truth Social at Always Right W-H-K, on Instagram at also Always Right. Make sure you check those out. Um, we're going to go to the phones. Oh, by the way, I want the one question I didn't get to with Steve, because um, he was really passionate and going off on the issue of the consent decree and the monitors uh, that are out there supposed to be evaluating how cops do their jobs, even though they have no earthly idea how policing works. It's it's so bizarre. I mean, it, I, I use the analogy of the math professor being evaluated and told how to teach advanced calculus by the kid who got a C in in uh, high school algebra. I mean, you could you could take that in a million different directions. I mean, it would be like you know a fat guy going in and because he eats a lot and, and telling a master chef how to prepare meals at a at a five star restaurant. Wait, what? What do you know about cooking? Nothing. But I like to eat, so I'm going to tell you how to do that. No! So you're concerned about public safety. That doesn't make you qualified to go out there and tell cops how to do their jobs on the scene, much less, you know, even after the fact. With their little evaluator, I get to sit here in the comfort of this conference room being paid a big Cleveland taxpayer salary to sit here and go through frame by frame as I sip on a cold drink or a warm cup of coffee in the comfort of this of this conference room, I'm going to go frame by frame and decide what that officer should have done in this given situation based on the video I have. I'm under no pressure, no stress, no fear, but I'm going to tell them what they should or shouldn't have done here and decide whether or not they're on the force or they're fired or worse yet, prosecuted. Now I'm not even happy doing that. Now I'm going to go out into the field. I'm going to stand there and watch them and tell them what to do and how to do it. What? Again, just another metaphor. It's like taking the you know the 50-year-old has-been who never even made his high school team but knows exactly what the head coach ought to be doing in the Browns game. Screaming at his TV screen, telling him, why did you run that play? You should have run this play. Or the quarterback, why did you throw it there when this guy was open? That would be like giving him the license to go down and stand on the sideline and tell the, the professionals what to do. Based on what qualifications? Well, qualific- I get very frustrated. I can see why Steve is so passionate about it. I am too. And I'm not even a cop. But the story I didn't get to when I was talking to Steve is that, did you know there were over a 1,000 children reported missing in and around Cleveland this year so far? 50 in the month of September alone. And according to Attorney General Dave Yost, there's no relief in sight because we don't have, a, don't have enough cops. Dave Yost said, we are very worried about this. We look at the number of missing kids, square that with the number of, 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 of the, the uh, uh, underfunded police department and the number of officers under budget, there aren't enough cops to do searches for missing kids. Kids are being that. Listen, put that. 
Put this puzzle together. We have unchecked, rampant, illegal immigration at our southern border, an extraordinarily large number of which are involved in human trafficking. They're coming in from overseas into this porous border, through this porous border, into our communities, and they're grabbing kids at, at, at just unprecedented rates to traffic them because there's very little fear of being caught because the biggest cities in America where the kids are the most vulnerable have underfunded underfunded police departments and understaffed police departments. They're not going to get caught. And then when kids are taken, parents go to the police, my baby's missing, my baby's missing. Sorry, ma'am, we don't have anybody to look. We're 400 officers under budget. I got nobody I can assign to this. I'm going to talk to Dave Yost about that a little bit more. We have to get Attorney General Yost on. It's been a little bit. we got to get him on to talk about it. But there's not enough cops to even search for the kids. It's a huge story about this on, on Fox News. Dave Yost was in town talking to uh, News Channel 5 about this uh, last week. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. All right. Enough ranting for the moment. Todd in Ward 1 in Cleveland. Todd, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Yo, Bob. Yo, Steve, or, I'm sorry. Yo, Todd. What's going on? Frustration has no productive value at all. Be very conscious of that when you say that you're frustrated about anything and try to eliminate it. I like something that Steve. I like something that Steve Loomis said, and I wish he had given himself a little bit more time to to express it um, about the citizens um, monitoring or police monitoring for having to. Um, it would be a good idea if they rode around for two straight weeks in a um, police car to really get a feel for how how things are. I think that should be, a, personally, I believe that should be a requirement to be on the board, that if you have not done that, you can't even get on this board. And, you, and in addition to that, you have to, you have, to have an approved set of notes that show that you've um, absorbed intellectually enough to be justified as being on the board, have to have, to have had that experience. And I also believe that they should have some degree of work having helped to solve a crime, even if it was a minor crime before they can be allowed to get on that board, because then you will really absorb what it means to be a police officer in the city of Cleveland, and you would also begin to absorb the poor civic engagement in the city that causes the crimes that the police officers often have to solve. He mentioned San Diego, California. I've mentioned this to you before. San Diego, California had less than 60 homicides last year. San Diego has a population of 3.9 million people. They have a police force of 1,800. 3.9 million people in a police force of 1,800. That means they have a lot of good civic engagement for their police force to be that small compared compared to the population. And in addition to that, if you look at Cleveland compared to two cities that are very close in population to Cleveland, Arlington, Texas, and Anaheim, California, and you can even put in Raleigh, North Carolina. Arlington and Anaheim had less than 20 homicides last year. And Raleigh had only 40 last year. Raleigh's the 40th largest city in the country. Arlington's the 52nd largest city in this country. Cleveland's the 54th largest city in this country. And Anaheim is the 55th or 56th largest city in this country. The problem is the civic engagement in the cities. Okay? Cleveland had 155 homicides last year. Why did those cities have so much less? And they're outpacing that this year. They're outpacing that this year through, right. uh, through September. Yeah. And be clear. It's not because those cities are so white. It's not because they're so rich. 
And it's not because they're so well-educated. It's because they have a healthy level of civic engagement, including their engagement with the police department. So if Steve comes back on again... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.